Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The following is a high-five moment from highfivecasino.com. I won! Yahoo! Private, put down your phone. This is the army. Sort. High-five casino is a social casino. It's on your phone. goes wherever you go. I win free spins, cash, prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200. Games. I want again. Platoon, present cell phone. High five. High five. Casino. Casino. Win at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, save on select steel battery tools. Right now, save $50 on the FSA 57 battery trimmer set. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. With AK-10 battery and AL-101 charger, offer valid for limited time only while supplies last. See participating dealer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. All right, here we go on this Saturday night. Started to Vegas. Steve Cofield, RJ Bell. And guys, once again, last night we said it. How great is it to be... Right here, Fox National Radio, 330 stations, coast to coast, Sirius 83, iHeartRadio app. And talk about a lineup. We've got college specialist Brad Powers. Great show last night. I think he continues. Steve Fezzik, maybe the most famous batter in the world. Well, let's say Billy Walters and then Fez. I think that's pretty fair to say. And guys, if you like to bet... We're going to give you some strong opinions on picks. If you just like to watch the games, we're going to kind of tell you, not kind of, we're going to specifically tell you the way we expect the games to go. Showtime! Woo! The Vegas lead, and we are going to hit some of the most impressive victories of the day, including Kentucky, but we got to come out here with Houston and Michigan in the West, the Cougars, in decent shape until they can't make free throws. And then Michigan gets one final shot to hit a three. They nail it. They do. And it didn't affect anything other than the money line as far as the game goes. But obviously, Michigan gets the win. Well, it affects who continues on to the Sweet 16. <laughs> well, absolutely. But Michigan, let's set it out, was a three, three-and-a-half-point favorite in the game. So it's not like the, the Seton Hall Kansas game from earlier in the day that affected a lot of money, but obviously looked like a great play call written up, whether or not that's exactly what they're supposed to do, but uh, obviously you throw the half-court pass, you dribble, get it off the pass. Uh, at least it looked from, from the eye test like it was a great play call. And how often do we see teams in that situation throw up a horrible 40-footer at the buzzer? It doesn't even get rim. Really good coach, John Beeline, well-schooled his players, no panic, bullet pass to half court, two dribbles, defense collapses, give it up, wide open three. Michigan was laying three, 
So what do you think of Michigan now moving forward? This is a team that both of you guys have been really high on, especially Brad, and on the Futures board. Interesting set of first-round games because uh, you talked about the defense, the level rising. Offensively, not real efficient in these two games. And let me ask Brad a more specific question. Is you, just last night straight out of Vegas, were talking about how much you like this Michigan team. What did you see today contrary to that? Because it might be nothing. It might be, hey, they didn't shoot real well. And it happens. And the fact they were able to win the game without shooting real well, and again, I'm being hypothetical here, that could be where you say, hey, I'm even going to upgrade them a little bit. How, what is, you had an assumption about Michigan yesterday. How has that changed? Uh, I've downgraded Michigan about a point or so offensively. Uh, I thought it was a sloppy game. Michigan had one of their worst turnover performances in round one against Montana. I coughed it up to, hey, this team didn't play for nearly two weeks. A little sloppy with the basketball. Tonight, the offensive spacing wasn't there. And keep in mind, Michigan last 10 years, known as an offensive team under John Beeline, another sloppy performance a little bit on the offensive end and also did have a bad shooting night. But they were Michigan playing a top 30 defense in Houston. So here's the question, though, is if a team's sloppy, is that something that carries over? Because in theory, sloppy, again, there's all kind of people that get into biorhythms and the way people sleep and the way people eat. You know, my guess is in 30 years, we're going to totally understand, like most people that are trying to have peak performance and, I mean, this is happening now. They go in, they test you for, like, 400 enzymes, and they say, okay, you can eat. It's not just being gluten intolerant or lactose intolerant. They're going to say, before noon, don't eat bananas. Afternoon, eat bananas. It's going to be very specific, I think, as science keeps advancing, and it's getting pretty close now. Who's to say why a team's a little sloppy? The only thing it feels like that would continue – would be if there's some big distraction where there's some drama on the team that we don't know about and thus they're playing Michigan absent-minded. Other than that, the fact that they have time to go home and go to the next venue and we've got a coach that you consider to be, what, certainly... Top 10. Top 10 in the whole... Country. Country, but in the postseason... How would you rate the Michigan coach? You've got a great ATS number on him. Yeah, with today's non-cover, John Beeline still 21-10 and 10 against the spread all-time in the NCAA tournament. Still the best out there with a large sample side, 20-plus games. So, with all due respect to Coach K, one of the best tournament coaches. If anything, sloppiness feels like something a team can address with these days off. Some things you can't address, some things you can. If Michigan addresses that, then they're just as good as you thought they were. What's the scenario they don't? How did Michigan all of a sudden just get sloppy? That's a great question. And, and uh, let me also point out that half of the— I'm asking you the question. Yeah. Well, let me also point Half the part of the downgrade for me is the fact that both times I've seen the, the sharper betting has come in against where my power rating on Michigan was. So I had the game power rating Michigan like four— market like we pointed out last night i said i was going to be in the square chair for that particular game money came in against michigan for like the fifth or sixth game in a row rj now that is a whole different conversation and fez i want you to jump in here in a second if you say listen i am a little bit out on an island with michigan where i think they're better than other the other sharps think or most other sharps you see those sharps not only think it 
but act upon it with their pocketbook by betting, and then they're right the first time, they're right the second time, I think it only makes sense to say, hey, they're seeing something perhaps I'm not, I'm not going to go all the way to where they are, but I'm maybe going to split the difference. I thought they were, you know, three points better or two and a half points better. Maybe I downgrade them a point. That's one thing. But if you're telling me you're downgrading them off the performance, that's another thing. And Fez, what do you, when you look at something like sloppiness or something like any uh, playing trait that feels like it doesn't necessarily repeat itself, especially if the team doesn't have a history of sloppiness. I think it goes back to the eye test. I think Houston's really good, RJ. Houston was great in their conference tourney. They played Cincinnati, a top 10 team, right to the end. Could have gone either way. I think this was just a reflection. Michigan shot poorly, and that sloppiness was due a lot to some great Houston defense. A Houston defense that's held opponents to 63 points all year long. Last thing I'll say is it feels sort of analogous to fumbles in the NFL. You have certain players, and those players really don't last, but occasionally you'll get a rookie or a second-year guy, he gets fumbleitis, he either fixes it or he's out of the league. You cannot fumble running back. But if it's a well-coached team, if that team fumbles a couple of times in a game, you can almost be guaranteed that next game they're not going to fumble. They're, because in practice, all their, or not all, but a focus is fumbling or not fumbling. So you see both hands on the ball a bunch, right, Fez? Yeah, and you carry the ball around all week in practice. Doesn't that feel like something an elite coach for Michigan focuses on? And I would expect it to be, I would make a major bet if we could quantify sloppiness, I would bet the under for Michigan's next game. I totally agree with that. Look for that to clear up. So Michigan advances to the regional in L.A. Up next in the West is the game on Sunday. The matchup will be against... North Carolina or Texas A&M. Tar Heels minus 6.5. The total is 151.5. Yeah, and looking at the matchup, I think it's kind of a, a good matchup for Texas A&M. They have the Aggies, the size advantage down low. North Carolina, unlike past five years for the Tar Heels, don't have that a big size advantage down low. I also like that Texas A&M has the defensive edge in this one. And Texas A&M a little bit better than their record indicates. Remember, I think people forget, late December, early January, Texas A&M is playing without three starters. They go 0-5 in that stretch. Here's a team that, that's definitely capable of top 20. We saw it early in the season. They're beating West Virginia, Oklahoma State, a lot of great marquee non-conference games. I'm leaning towards Texas A&M plus a 6.5. And, and we're going to go head-to-head here because the game's in Charlotte, and there's one thing I've seen from Texas A&M since their starters came back is their inconsistency. They have a good game, they have a bad game, and this North Carolina team should have absolutely covered week in round one. They're up 22 late, and then funny business in the final minute. A team that should have covered that didn't is my kind of team to bet on because I get value the next round. So you like? North Carolina. Okay, so let's. what I love to do when we have a crossfire like this is identify the main disagreement. Put it out there. And let the listener say, huh, Fez makes sense, Brad makes sense, whomever. So, considering you each heard each other, Brad, what do you think the big disagreement is? Well, if Fez likes teams that had a misleading non-cover, I'll grant you Texas A&M also kind of had some funny business in the final minute against Providence. That was a game Texas A&M was up 8 to 10 points, missed 6 free throws in the final minute. 
Otherwise, they come away with a 10-point win instead of a 4-point game that was right near the numbers. So if that's the type of team you like, Fez, then you should be liking, or at least liking Texas A&M here. That's a great point, but you know, in that game, Texas A&M did not know they were going to beat Providence. That was a competitive game. North Carolina basically had a bye in the first round. They knew this is the game that they would be vulnerable and could possibly lose, and I think that sets up for full effort for Carolina in this game. If you look at pregame.com in the Game Center, and we are the only place on the internet that you can get the bet splits on both uh, cash and tickets. Right now, North Carolina, 87% of the tickets of the bets, 82% of the cash. So to me, and we were talking about this in our Dream Preview podcast, Deep Dive, 75% of the betting in March Madness, in the NCAA tournament specifically, recreational. So when I see a very public team, and North Carolina hasn't been as public earlier this year as they are typically, but hey, it seems like they're starting to win some converts. When I see 82% of the cash and even more of the tickets on North Carolina, and the line opened five and a half, went up to six and a half, Fez, I've got to side with Brad here. It feels like maybe a five and a half. Who knows? At six and a half, it's hard to imagine there's value on North Carolina. You're paying an extra point off public betting. I am with the squares, and I admit it, RJ, but I still expect to cash my ticket. Let's talk about another public team on the way back. Uh, Over the last two months, Brad has told us consistently, underrated. Kentucky is underrated. And now Kentucky looks like it has a pretty easy path, potentially, as far as the Elite Eight, maybe in the Final Four. That's on the way. Fox Sports Radio is straight out of Vegas on a Saturday night. Straight out of Vegas! Kentucky's Wildcats, which lost four in a row in February, have rebounded again. Big Blue goes back to the Sweet 16. 95-75 over upstart Buffalo in Boise. Straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Kentucky with the victory over Buffalo. You hear the call there, courtesy of Westwood 1. 95-75, the five seed moves on. And all of a sudden, a team that almost no one had for the national title. Kentucky looks like a pretty good bet to make it to the Final Four because of the way the bracket has fallen apart. But first, this game and how impressive Kentucky was. Well, it was the best bet last night on this very show that I had on Kentucky, minus the the five, five and a half here. So a comfortable win. So you would think, interrupting Brad for a second, you would think Brad would wait a little bit, let someone else say it. (laughs) Like literally the first thing he goes... Oh, yeah, we'll talk about the game in a second, but best bet winner, <laughs> Brad Powers. Yeah, and look, the, the main handicap came to fruition. I said, hey, Kentucky, <laughs> the outlier. Kentucky didn't make a three-point shot in the first round. First yep. time that happened for Kentucky in 30 years. Made seven tonight. Their opponent, Buffalo, had a great night. Three-point shooting against Arizona, hit 15 of them. Tonight, seven. When that area is equal, obviously Kentucky's going to dominate the boards going to dominate inside the paint. That's exactly what happened. Kentucky now last 10 games, 9-1 straight up, 9-1 against the spread. And you look at Kentucky's bracket, no number one seed Virginia, no number three seed Tennessee, no number four seed Arizona. I see a pathway to at least the Elite Eight, if not the Final Four, because Cincinnati, the the two seed in that bracket, doesn't scare me whatsoever. Hmm, I disagree with that one. I like this Cincinnati team. To me, I think... 
when you have team, well, let me ask you a question. And obviously we won't dig too deep into Cincinnati, but let me just ask you a question. Other than not gaining margin, meaning winning by a lot, what is it about? And, and other, no, I'm not talking about you applying your like, here's what I think. If you don't have offense, you can't blah, blah, blah. No, I want to hear based on 30 plus games this year. What results, scoreboard, scoreboard, have you seen from Cincinnati that makes you say, ah, don't worry about that second seed? Well, here's my concern with Cincinnati. You, no, you no, but I, now, so you're saying, there's, is this you just saying plainly, there's nothing on the scoreboard? No, I mean, well, scoreboard's offense, right? Offense. No, well, no, scoreboard is scoreboard. It's, it's what right. is your, how many do you win? All that really okay. ultimately matters. Two things. Is, Two things bother me. Number one, Cincinnati, who are the elite teams Cincinnati's played? They don't play in a league conference, American Athletic uh, Conference. We've seen the SEC at least overachieve a little bit as far as expectations. So, so who's the other good teams in Cincinnati's conference? Wichita State, how'd they do in the NCAA tournament? Out first round as a double-digit favorite. That's the second best team. So, so let's be clear about something. Like, I think it's important that when we do a crossfire or whatever, we can have fun with it sometimes. Yeah. But when we're actually discussing a handicap, let's not be all dramatic. We know how Wichita State did. They lost the game. Okay, yep. fine. But it was one game. Yep. Okay. Did you have like a, a monster bet against Wichita State? No. Okay. So it was a surprising result to you. Yep. So other than that, what is it? I mean, tell, is the committee just, cause here's the thing I think that probably is the most important thing the listeners should understand. And we're going to be a little bit more hardcore about the handicaps because we know a lot of people are betting March Madness. We know that is one second fast. Fast is jumping in. <laughs> He's probably going to say that's something very smart, I'm sure. Is the line is pretty much close to right in all cases. Yep. And when I say pretty much close, mm, point and a half maybe sometimes. If you're lucky, two, two and a half points off. And I mean, that's rare. So Cincinnati is pretty much as good as we think they are. So we'll be talking about them. They're favored by eight right now. Maybe it should be five and a half if, in a crazy case. Or maybe it should be ten and a half. It's somewhere in between there. So when you talk about how bad the conference was, is that something the committee didn't understand? Is that something the lines makers don't understand? I mean, do you think Cincinnati's just totally mispriced and you're fading them with big bets every game? No, it's not nothing to do with that at all. It's it's more of a pro Kentucky side. It's really nothing anti Cincinnati with me saying Well hey. it sounded like when you said could this was the, the quote <laughs> Steve, yeah. what was the quote Kofi, what was the quote? He said <laughs> he said <laughs> I'm not overly impressed with that. You two said, no, 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 no. What you said was, oh, Cincinnati doesn't worry me at all. Like they're yeah. like they're not even there. <laughs> well, if there's any, if you're comparing Cincinnati to the other two seeds, like a North Carolina or a Duke, well, the key is Cincinnati compared to Kentucky. Yeah, and what I do you like think the, the Kentucky. What do you think the line there? would be? Well, since he, since he's going to be favored, hmm. and okay. Brad Powers, if that indeed does happen, <laughs> and Cincinnati's laying three or four, that's what the projected line. Brad Powers will have a best bet Kentucky on this very show. I will make a substantial bet that Cincinnati won't be laying three and a half against Kentucky. I think the line will be one and a half. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I guess, and here's a trick people should always remember. When you're projecting future matchups, you need to realize that the only hypothetical that makes sense in that projection is that the teams have won. 
So saying if Cincy keeps winning, everyone's going to shrug and say, well, they're the two seed. If Kentucky keeps winning, you're going to hear, oh, here they come. I don't know if you're going to say here they come because look who Kentucky's going to play in the next round, either UMBC or the number nine seed, Kansas State. So no matter what Kentucky does the next round, I'm not sure you're going to get that full you know, pro-Kentucky just for the fact that they're not playing the one seed in the Sweet 16. Yeah, both teams have a cupcake draw and are on a collision course. Here is my problem, RJ, with Cincinnati. I view them as very much like Virginia, a slightly inferior form of a team that plays just like Virginia. And we saw what happened when Virginia got down double digits. They were not built to come back, and I think Cincinnati has the same problem. If that happens in the tournament, they're going out also. So... <laughs> this is so funny. We should just like you know what we should do. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna look up the lottery, like the last big Powerball drawing. Write down the numbers and say, "Yep, should have bet. Should have made it 42. 42 is so smart." Are we really looking at one of the biggest upsets in NCAA history and pointing to it and saying, "See, I told you so." I know Virginia had one of the greatest seasons in the history of college basketball, but because they lost this game. It proves that you, you've been naysaying Virginia since January 1 about, right? Well, let's put this – correct. So let's right. put this in perspective. So, so I've, they I've had, been saying how overrated Virginia is all year long, and I think that showed up in round one. Is, is that your takeaway? It is, is. Is how overrated they were. I mean, because that sounds honestly about the squarest thing I've ever heard anyone say. I mean, I'm not talking about a professional batter. How can you say if someone told let, let me ask you a question is if someone played you in chess for those that don't know Fezzik is a elite <laughs> chess player makes sense he's a, a wonderful mind is a beautiful mind as they say <laughs> is if if you if you beat someone 30 out of uh, or what what was their regular season record 32 and 2 or some variation yeah. of that if you beat them 32 out of 34 times and then you go eat lunch or you know take a little vacation, come back, and then they beat you the first time. If they're dancing around talking about how they're better than Fezzik, he, they've been saying to their friends how <laughs> Fezzik's overrated, what would you say? I would say they're overreacting to a very small sample. So what should you say to yourself? I should say to myself that maybe I'm overreacting <laughs> to a small sample, but, RJ, in terms of the chess example, <laughs> yes, obviously. this is like a... A Class B player being a grandmaster, they could play a thousand times. The grandmaster should not lose. Which, if anything, it makes the loss more suspect. What I'm not suspect is in that it was something illicit, but it was some amazing confluence of events. Because if you're able to, it's one thing if you have a UNLV back in the '90s or whatever, where they would go, you know, one loss in the conference or whatever, come into the tournament thirty and two every year. Then you see him get beat, and you're like, wow. All the skepticism about that team that had a great record in a bad conference was warranted. When you go through the top, and, and how would we characterize the ACC this year? Just as strong as it's ever it, been. I mean, probably a little bit more, right? Yeah. I mean, North Carolina, where are they in your power ratings? North Carolina's in the top eight. All right, and where is Duke? Number three. And where is Virginia even now? Uh, Were you going to downgrade him two points? Yeah, they're right. still in the top four. Okay, so if you go have one of the greatest seasons in the history of the ACC, and then you lose to a 16 seed, yeah, it was an amazing loss. Give 
the Maryland team credit. But do, how much do you reevaluate Virginia? I think two points is a fair downgrade. But I do think that Cincinnati being similar to Virginia, it does go to show they they had a great record also. I don't think they had enough data points over the course of the year, RJ, where they got down double digits. And I think that's going to cause a problem if that does occur in this tournament. Let's talk more on the way back about this uh, Maryland-Baltimore County team. And if UMBC can keep the dream alive, advance, and play that Kentucky team that's on the way. But first, Steve DeSager with the latest. What a night. We'll start, of course, with March Madness, the late game of tonight's second rounders in the NCAA basketball tournament. Michigan trailing final seconds against Houston. Two seconds. Rockman off the pool. Three for the win. He got it. He got it. A three-pointer at the buzzer to eliminate the Houston Cougars, 64-63, Westwood One Radio with the call. Loyola, Chicago with another upset. Tennessee is out as the Ramblers beat them on a jumper in the final second, 63-62. Texas Tech in Dallas, Edge, Florida, 69-66. The Gators missed two three-point tries in the final seconds. Wins for Villanova and Kansas, for Duke and Kentucky. And Gonzaga was up 15-0 early, blew that lead, and came back in the final minutes to beat Ohio State 90-84. to By the way, the number one ranked UConn women won its first round NCAA game today, 140-52 to over St. Francis of Pennsylvania, scoring a record 94 points in the first half, shooting 74% from the floor then. Connecticut now 33-0. It's going for its fifth national title in the last six years. 11 NBA games, including Portland winning its 12th straight contest. Utah won its ninth in a row. The Knicks won to end a nine-game losing streak. Memphis won to end a 19-game losing streak. San Antonio and Golden State with victories. Houston won again. The New York Jets acquired the number three overall selection in next month's NFL draft. They're sending four picks to the Colts to move up. Joey Logano took NASCAR's Xfinity race. And Tiger Woods is five shots back in Orlando. Back to you. Thanks, Steve. RJ Bell's here. Steve Cofield in the Wise Guys chairs. It's Brad Powers and Fezzik. Can I follow up on? Absolutely. But in our second hour, we're going to talk a little NFL. And one thing we're going to be talking about in the next hour is... We talk about tanking in the NBA, right? So the Jets were sixth. They moved up to three, and they had to give up. You know, they swapped, and then they gave up how many second rounders? Three. Three? Two this year. So they could have had three Jimmy G's to move up three spots. In the Jets' case, they could get three Christian Hackenbergs. So you got (laughs) to... I mean, they used a second-round pick on Hack. you you got to wonder, like, there's this obsession with, hey, there's only 16 games, you got to try to win every game. Wow, as the Jets lose one more game, they they get three second-round picks, and they're probably the third pick. That's pretty crazy. So we were talking about Virginia, and grading the season, you know, based on this 16-1 loss, so we're going to get to... UMBC and K-State here inside of five minutes. I saw a lot of square takes out there about how, hey, the ACC just wasn't that good. You go 20-1 and in that conference and you lose to UMBC. And I want to ask all you guys, I see a lot of grading conferences based on what happens in the first round especially. So is it overreacting to go, hey, the SEC got off to a good start. They were 6-1 and coming out of the gates, but the Pac-12, 0-3, SEC is a good conference. Pac-12 sucks. So I think you've got to do that. And people that listen closely to Straight Out of Vegas, to the Dream Preview, everything pregame.com does, we're always talking about, and we talked about it last night, you don't know how good these conferences are because they're playing such a big percentage 
of their important games, their competitive games, against each other. And it, you can high if, if a conference is significantly better than people think, they're beating up each other, significantly worse. They're inflating each other's record. Now, Steve Cofield, you bring up the paradox. And it's a paradox that sports bettors have to deal with all the time. You usually don't have enough data, especially if you're just using a binary, win-loss. You don't have enough data to really know what you need to know. A 16-game season, you know, people ask me occasionally, and I love giving this deadpan answer, RJ, how many teams or how many NFL games do you need to really know how good a team is? I say, yeah, about 32. (laughs) I really think it takes about two seasons, but they're not the same team. So you can never know, even in one season. And Fez, you are, in my opinion, the best NFL handicapper that is publicly available is I would make the case we could go through, take a team like the 49ers. Now, we could say, oh, there was something fundamentally different about them. But I think we could take some other teams and say, just as good as some teams that made the playoffs. And maybe they had a 7-9 and record. Absolutely. And RJ, I'll give you accolades. The San Francisco 49ers, which you brought up, you kept bringing up the point, wow, this team keeps losing all these close games. What did they start at? Were they 1-8? and eight? And you're like, this could easily be a 500 team. And then they got all injured and they dropped a few more games. But the potential was there absolutely for them to be a winning football team. And it's a stat that's worth saying because I think the 49ers are going to get a ton of attention entering next season. When they had Hoyer at quarterback or Jimmy G, they lost one game the entire year by more than a field goal. So this was a super competitive team when they had competent quarterback. And Bethard was not competent last year. So, Brad, the way I would approach the paradox of, hey, we got to assess how good these conferences are, and a good way to do it is once we get to the NCAA tournament, but just that win and loss isn't enough, it feels like you got to get inside the game and really grade as in, hey, the score was this, but really what happened here? Because, Cofield, I think if you go beyond just the simple wins and losses, you can get more data from a handful of games. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen. Bad shooting night for a particular team, maybe a bad matchup. They're facing a defense that they're not used to saying. But I'll say this, that square talk about the ACC not being good, I think that's completely overblown. And I'll just use that window that everyone was watching Virginia, the number one seed getting beat, and we're not watching the other three games where there were all involved ACC teams. Florida State exceeded expectations by 20-plus points in a blowout win over Missouri. You look at Clemson, everyone's darling to pull an outright upset in the first round. New Mexico State over Clemson. Clemson dominated that game from start to finish. Also in that same time window <laughs> as Virginia on Friday night, Syracuse, an outright upset a team Everyone said shouldn't be in the tournament. All of a sudden, now playing in the round of 32, ACC's not overrated. They're just as good as any conference. And by contrast, we look at the Pac-12, and I think that the narrative is correct. The Pac-12 is massively overrated. You had three teams in the tourney. All three were favored. All three lost straight up. And what happened to Arizona? The king of the Pac-12, not only do they lose to Buffalo, then everyone's like, well, Buffalo's really good. It's excusable. Well, Buffalo turns around and loses by 20 their next game. I hadn't ever thought of this, which is really an indictment. I'm going to take the, the bullet here and say, wow, bad, bad, bad. Let me ask you guys a question. Here's what I hadn't thought of. We should be looking at the NIT. We should be looking at the other uh, tournaments 
to get a feel of how the conferences are doing also. So I, you know, when I was handicapping CBB every day, I would have thought of that, but let's, let's do that specifically with, I guess the pack 12, cause it, even though there's nobody left in the NCAA, it is kind of interesting to know, are they as bad as they seem? So let's start there. Yeah. And the pack 12 has four NIT teams. And what did I see? USC almost lost outright in their first game goes to double overtime. USC's a 16 point favorite. Motivational question. In that yes. Was that? And this, I think, is the problem with your query. If you want to roll in the NIT, the NCAA doesn't have motivation factors. The NIT often does. But the spread should take that into account. All right. So in general, now again, if they were favored by 16, boy, did you, did you take the rubber band off for that one, Brad? I did not. Wow. Fast. It, what, you let thing, that one get by? One more thing, though, on Southern Cal, isn't there another factor, too? Like, slight distraction factor? Yes. I, I believe, like after not making the NCAAs, they're still embroiled in the FBI thing? And I believe... Yeah. No? Why would they be any more worried about the FBI than anyone else right now on that list? Right? I think they're I, all worried about I it. I think but, here yeah. is a quick NIT tip. Is one the first game and maybe the second game, teams that were very disappointed to get in the NIT underperform. Usually the line accounts for it, but not always enough. Once they get past that second game, now it's like, hey, are they, you know, we might get to the final four. We can redeem ourselves. You know, that's the question. Would you rather win the NIT or get bounced in the first round of the NCAA tournament? That's a great question. You get a chance to go to Madison Square Garden, New York. Once they win those first two games, couldn't agree more with RJ. Then you get full motivation. And, for and, the team. and how important is motivation? Correct me if I'm wrong, Brad. I think USC opened like a 19 point favorite. There was like a five point line move. And RJ, how square am I? It moved a point and a half. I said, well, I can't take 17 and a half. I could have had 19. Well, listen, usually it's like putting your seatbelt on, right? If you think, should I, shouldn't I? No, I'm not going to. And you drive home and you don't wreck. Do you celebrate? No. You put your seatbelt on every time. Worry about every half point, Fez. You know that. That's why. Let's be candid for a second. That's, that's why you've got a mansion and a yacht. I cut you off before you made the case on the other Pac-12 teams in the NIT. Yeah, I mean, Oregon was a double-digit favorite, almost lost outright to a team that had actual travel problems, a rider team, so they almost lost outright it's a long trip on their home So, court. So are we looking to fade the Pac-12 in these NIT games? I am, and there's a few coming up tomorrow. Maybe we tease ahead of the second hour. Ooh. You, we can do yeah. that. We can do that. Uh, let's get to the Sunday game that is tagged in the same side of the bracket as Kentucky. We promised the breakdown of UMBC, the 16, the Darling, can the Retrievers do it again? They're getting 10 against the 9 seed in Kansas State. That game is in Charlotte on Sunday. Here's my major concern for UMBC. Obviously a historical upset for them. And it was legitimate. It's nothing fluky about the game. Exceeded expectations by 40-plus points. They have an elite player in Lyles who was the best player on the floor. But now all of a sudden UMBC what, had what one newspaper writer probably writing about them. One, you know, one of their games was on TV, Vermont. And now all of a sudden you are the talk of the entire nation. Sounds like a major distraction to me. And for that reason alone, I'm going to be fading UMBC. Boy, I disagree with you 100%. I don't, I don't know if I like UMBC, but I disagree with that handicap. Fez, were you going to talk about that or something else? I'm going to disagree as well Go because... Ahead. The home court advantage, the hidden home court advantage, RJ, this game is in Charlotte. No one is going to be rooting for Kansas State in this game. Everyone is going to be rooting for the Cinderella. I think that is a key factor. So let's recap what Fez just said, because I I think it bears repeating, is 
Uh, and, and here, there's a science. Boy, I, I, I've known one or two guys over the years that are like pianists when it comes, like, like you ever watch, I, like I can't play the piano, right? I took lessons when I was 10. You ever watch someone play and look and go, that seems like something I couldn't do in a thousand years. Like they're going up and down and, you know, it's like, wow. Okay. Is they'll talk about who the crowds are going to like in giving games in these tournaments. And it's so advanced because one, remember they're selling two in Cofield. You've been to a good many NCAA games, right? I'm guessing. Yes, absolutely. Is a, there's two matchups, two games on each ticket. So now the question is who's first? Is that crowd going to leave? And then there's the question is if the, with the teams that are second, they're going to be there for the first game. Chances are, and do they, is it the same conference? Do they hate each other? Are they going to root against the better team? Because they, if their team wins, they'd rather them play the crappier team. There's like a hundred, not a hundred. There's like 12, 15 different considerations. And, and then you got to think about, well, what, how well does this team travel? What is the, um, uh, how easy is it going to be to get a ticket? What percentage of the tickets are going to be not fans, but, you know, corporate sponsors and such? Who are they going to, support so fez i agree with you one factor in this is all things equal root for the um you know the the david versus goliath i agree with you there what i do want to quickly swing back to brad that i disagree with fez brought up another topic on the same game but let's get back to the idea of this hangover idea how excited do you think teams like this Baltimore team are to just play day to day. I'm guessing growing up or in college, you were around, you went to Bowling Green, correct? Yep. Did you know any of the basketball players, for example, or baseball players, lacrosse? Football players, I did. Okay, you knew some. Okay. Now, football in the, you know, I think it's a little bit different. But when you're in like an inner city school like this and you're playing basketball, I mean, in a way, it's almost like a glorified, a glorified intramural league. Whereas they're, when they travel, they're traveling, you know, in an old school bus, right? And they're not playing, uh, you know, I'm guessing they played very few games more than a three or four hour drive away, et cetera. Now, would you agree with that with this level type school? Yep. Okay. So the question is, if you spent, and I'm guessing they've got, you know, more than a few, you know, juniors, seniors, right? If you've played in obscurity, it's almost like a rock band, and this rock band has been playing in bars for years, and then finally somehow they're opening for Zeppelin or you know contemporary or whatever's a contemporary U two they're opening for. Do you think they're going to get excited about that or not? Right, it feels like this is like they're going to Disneyland and they're going to play with the most passion. I'm guessing they've ever played with. And they showed that in the first round. We'll, uh, we'll talk about Jairus Lyles, the star for UMBC. And I think there's a hidden factor on the K-State side in terms of pressure. That's coming up straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! All right, rolling on here straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Very intriguing story with Maryland, Baltimore County. I mean, come on. 135-0, the ones were. Finally, a 16 beats a 1. UMBC is getting 10 points against Kansas State in the Sunday game. In Charlotte, and we've had discussions on a myriad of issues. First of all, Maryland-Baltimore County. 
did they spend all the emotion in this game where they beat a one, or is this a team now on a mission that has plenty of emotional energy left? You know, Fez, I thought you had a great take on the commercial about what you saw with the eye test after the game. Yeah, so I expected that all the players would be hugging and falling to the ground on the court, but they didn't. They just ran off the court into the locker room like it was no big deal. And I think the fact they were leading for a significant portion of the second half, what was the halftime score? It was tied, 21 all. It was tied, okay. And the, 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 it felt like almost like the joy of it came out one increment at a time at the 14-minute mark, the 10-minute, and thus there wasn't that big, as you said, extreme release, which I think is good for the energy, right? And as Brad and I were talking about, I think this team, this UNBC team, is a bar band, the analogy that's opening for you too. I think they're going to be excited, focused. Let me ask you this, Brad. Oh, go ahead. You no, some- I was going to start waving the white flag. I mean, you brought it up. I was thinking a team may be distracted now, but I think you're right. Because it was a blowout, because they said it was like business like usual, I'm going from a Kansas State lane here to a total pass. So let me throw in the other factor. Kansas State is in a position, they have to win this. Fans are going to be annoyed if they don't beat a 16. Bruce Weber's been on the hot seat the last couple of years. He's basically a 500 coach in the Big 12. They think he should be winning 13 games, 25 games a year. There are rumors out there, hey, you lose this game, you may go bye-bye. And to me, if it was the regular season and it was a high-motivation spot, that's good for the team. You want to bet that team or at least give it an advantage, that team an advantage. Here, it's the old spinal tap. Does the amp go past 10, right? You should be max motivated to have a fairly easy path, in theory, double-digit favor, to make the Sweet 16. You should be focused, no doubt about it. it. Now you add in, as Cofield mentioned from the square chair, when you add in the idea that this could be for a beloved coach, is that fair, Cofield? I think the players like him. Yeah. Beloved, that's what matters. The players on the yep. court, if they feel like the coach's job's in jeopardy, I don't think that adds motivation. I think it adds n- nerves. It increases the stakes. And I think that might be a net negative for Kansas State. Don't disagree. Coming up. You know what I want to do when we come back the first of the hour? I want Brad to explain what happened. How did UNBC, what did they do that was so unexpected? I haven't heard anyone really explain that. We'll get into also who uh, Sister Jean and Loyola will be facing next hour. Straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Yep, seven of the eight Sunday games on the way. Leans, likes, and analysis. Steve Cofield, RJ Bell. And guys, I mean, how great is it? We talked about it the first hour. Fox National Radio, straight out of Vegas. We've got Brad Powers, college specialist, off a best bet winner last night. Steve Fezzik, famed professional batter, also known as the dirtiest player in the game. We'll be talking about that later this hour. So we had a disagreement in hour one. We talked about that Michigan buzzer beater. Michigan has moved on on the three by Jordan Poole. Up next is North Carolina or Texas A&M. You guys were split on that, right? Brad Powers, you had? I leaned with Texas A&M. Did you get talked out of it, Fezzik? No, I'm going the other way. 
All right. So when you say the other way. So he's got North Carolina. Minus <laughs> six and a half. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, taking, I'm <laughs> taking the home team, North Carolina, with that huge crowd support. And it'll be even bigger now that Virginia's out of that region. We did not get a decision on Maryland-Baltimore County against Kansas State. You were, Brad Powers, leaning Kansas State. But did we talk you out of it? Oh, well, uh, l- let's be clear. I think R.J. Bell did the majority of that work, so more R.J. Bell talked me out of it. And my main factor, I thought UMBC would be distracted, but the points that were raised was, hey, this team's going to be completely motivated. And the way that the upset went down, that really UMBC controlled the entire game is probably a positive because there wasn't that huge emotional lift at the end of the game. Let's talk about the handicap, or I guess maybe our recap on the UNBC game, is what happened? Like, I haven't heard, and if you don't have an answer, don't, you know, just say, I don't know, right? What happened? The biggest thing was, you know, Virginia's defense has been what's made this team historic. No one's had a great shooting performance, really, against Virginia all season, RJ. And yet, UNBC... In the second half, specifically, because Virginia's defense was just as good in the first half. 21 points is what UMBC scored. As good as they were across the season. As good as they've been all season long. What happened in the second half? UMBC had a historic performance shooting. 68% from the field in that one. They shot... Is is 68% and a half historic? Against Virginia's defense? I would say, I mean, for the most part, I mean... UMBC scored 53 points in the second half. That's what Virginia gives up for the whole game in the ACC. I think the other thing, RJ, is they met up against a, a guy who can be a high major player and decided not to be in this Jarius Lyles. But we knew that and, before the game started, no, right? I, I think people knew that he was a good player in that conference of 20 points per game. My point is, I don't know that Tony Bennett had an answer for him in the second half because he basically went one-on-one and they never found a defender to slow him down or tried to double him just to get the ball out of his freaking hands. Okay, so, but was this player better than the players they played in the ACC? No, I think it's the factor of being unexpected. That they, I'm not going to say they they came in flat. No, no, no. I just don't know that they respected how good he was. And when they started, once they saw how good he was, that Virginia has a scheme to try to stop that type of score, right? I'm guessing there was someone in the ACC this year that played similar to this fellow and was just as good. Yeah, I mean, from the point guard spot, like a Joel Berry, a very experienced player for North Carolina. And I'll But did just, you see them bring a double to get oh, the ball did, out of his hands? Because I'll se- tell you today, Rob Gray against San Diego State, they refused the San Diego State to double the ball and get the ball out of his hands. What happened tonight? Did Rob Gray have it down the stretch? Nope. Right? Because John Beeline is smart. John Beeline brought someone over, get the ball out of his hands, someone else has to make the play or make free throws. In Tony Bennett's defense, slightly, I saw many times coming down the stretch after he Lyles went off early in the second half, they had two, three guys on him and he was still making shots. So at pregame.com, Sleepy J is one of our really, holla, you want to talk historic, historic form contributors, years and years grinding out great content. Hundreds of people post in the forums. And listen, anyone out there, you can post too. You'll get thousands of people reading your analysis. And it's great to kind of debate like we do here on Straight Out of Vegas is, hey, I think this, not someone else thinks that. And it's, it's a great read. It's great to participate in. Well, Sleepy, he said, and he texted me here, he's listening to the show, he thought it was a lack of defensive adjustments for Virginia. And maybe that's what this is. Maybe if it were a ACC team, they would have said, wow, 
They're burning us. We better change. Maybe it was ego, right? Is Maybe it's like, we're Virginia. This team is a 16 seed. We don't got to make major adjustments. Let's just keep playing our game. Then, as you said, Brad, got hot, and then, then it was out of reach because this offense can't turn it on. So maybe that's the three things that happened. I love trying to break this down. Obviously, UNBC played well, right? That's the easy part. Halftime, it was tied. The idea that they come out, Virginia doesn't make adjustments because of ego, and boom, UNBC gets hot, number two factor, and then number three is Virginia just isn't a team, even against a 16 seed, that's built to come back. Couldn't have said it any better. Another one of the darlings, Loyola, advances. An 11 seed, takes out Tennessee, low pace game, 63-62. Let's start looking ahead. The next matchup, this started as a crossfire in hour one. The next matchup is against Nevada or Cincinnati. Who do you think comes out of that game? Nevada is getting eight against the second-seeded Cincy team in the South. Well, I would like to fade both teams. I've, we broke it down in the first hour. I'm not a huge fan of Cincinnati. I, I'll agree with RJ. They got a, a really good defense, a national championship caliber defense, second best in the country. But if you're buying Cincinnati as a national championship contender, they're not because of the offense. Each of the last 17 national champs have had a top 20 offense. Cincinnati's offense, number 50 in the country. Here's why I am not necessarily against Cincinnati in this game. I'm also well, not buying. Hold on a second. You're not necessarily <laughs> yeah. against. Translate that. Well, I'm going to be on the total more than the side in the game. All right. So we got eight games tomorrow. Yep. We've got you on a limit, right? Because yep. the Sharps love totals, right? But let's be candid. <laughs> more About half yes. the listeners out here, I'm saying maybe 60, 70% are betting during the NCAA tournament. The other listener, we have a ton of listeners, many, many tens of thousands of listeners who just want to hear what Vegas thinks of the games. They don't really care about the total. <laughs> so I let Brad, we, we had a compromise. Two total. So this is one of the two games. Yeah, I will take You've got the a total. Here. So on the side, forced lean, understanding it's just a lean. Where are you at on the side of this game? Cincinnati. Because as overrated as I think Cincinnati is, I think Nevada is just as overrated due to the fact what happened in their last game. Now, I had Texas in the last game. as one of my stronger plays of the tournament so far. And for the first 38, 40 minutes of the game, that that handicap coming in the game proved to be correct. Now, what happened in the game? Mo Bama, the 7'1 center for Texas, fouls out late in regulation. That significantly hurt Texas's chances in the overtime. And carrying that over in this game is Nevada had three starters play 40-plus minutes in that one. And I think when you're facing a pressure defense that Cincinnati's going to bring, I don't expect the outside shot to be hitting for Nevada in this one. That's why I'd lean with Cincy. I'm going to make this my best bet on Cincinnati here. I really dislike Nevada, and here's why. This team was great back in February, but they lost their point guard. They're down to four healthy scholarship players. They're down 30 against San Diego State. Nevada was in the conference tourney. They were down double digits to Texas in the big dance. They should not even be here anymore, and I think they're going to get run by Cincinnati. I love Cincinnati. So in the Nevada-Texas game, did you play that? I had an enormous bet against Nevada. I had Texas. I really feel strongly I had the right side, RJ. This was my biggest bet of the tournament. They opened up a double-digit lead. Who's they? Texas against Nevada, and then Texas 
just got very passive with the ball. They started missing free throws. But even with all the mess-ups that Texas did, they were still in position to beat Nevada. They're up one at the end of the game shooting a one So how long, if I didn't stop you, how long would you keep <laughs> explaining why you should have won that game? I haven't even talked about Mo Bamba fouling out yet. <laughs> Yeah, can I bring something up? You guys both mentioned Mo Bamba fouling out, seven foot two fifty. Why did he foul out? Was there a specific he got five player? Fouls. No, was there a specific player that he could not match up against who destroyed him when he pulled the big man away because of a uh, stretch element, a power forward and center? We yeah. want to mention that. Good point, Jordan yeah. Caroline, son of Simeon Rice, the former NFL player. Very good point. He's a, he's a hell of an athlete. I think he's an NFL player rather than a basketball player, but he's a tough matchup. It's interesting on the other side of the Nevada game. Uh, they are down their point guard, but some people think they're better because they basically have three, six, seven NBA players who handle the ball on the perimeter and serve as the point, and they're really good at one-on-one. Now, I, I agree, they are very uh, much reliant on the three, and if they don't have a game where they hit 11 to 13 threes, then they probably can't compete with Cincy. Okay, so if we have a high-variance team, so what do we mean by that? If you shoot a bunch of threes, it means if you're really hot, you can pull a shocker. If you're really cold, you can lose by 40 if you like Nevada, right? For those out there, do they look money line? Is this a high variance situation that, hey, if Nevada plays well, maybe they win this game? No, I totally agree with that. And that's what happened in the Texas game. Nevada cold early. That's where they're down double digits. Got hot late in the game, especially overtime. Remember when you threes. recommended when they're down 14, right? You were like, uh, or you're feeling good about the Texas recommendation. I did. Uh, Nevada had four threes. At I that appreciate point. you reminding me that. Well, I just wanted to. Well, <laughs> Because they were comfortable, uh, Nevada was down, it looked like they were out, and then all of a sudden, second half, they hit seven threes in the second half, and it's a game. You have 18 seconds to explain the total <laughs> in this game. Well, misleading, we talked about, you know, he was whining Texas, uh, Fezzik about the Texas pick. How about the total? 34 points in overtime, and the total in the Nevada-Texas game goes over because of it. Creates a little bit of value. Slower pace for Cincinnati, especially so, early I'm on sorry, in the let, game. Let, let's, let's do each... Like you're saying a bunch of things and they're all just blending together. Yep. So the game, the the prior game that you said there was a misleading result, explain that. Nevada, Texas. Yeah. Game I understand should, the game. No question. Game should have came under. Okay. For anyone that, that didn't And watch, it went over because of the overtime. overtime. Significantly okay. over. So do you find now what how far was it from the over at the end of regulation? About six to eight points. Six to eight. Yeah. So it was right there. Yep. Okay, so, and then in overtime, obviously, it went way over. Do you find that recreational batters, obviously, is who we're talking. Pros aren't going to be fooled that, oh, there was a lot of scoring in overtime. They get it, right, obviously. I don't think you have to be a pro, but that's my question. And maybe I'll ask it to Fez. Fez, you read the market as well as anyone. Do you find recreational batters are fooled that that game went to overtime and it went over? That's, hey, look, there's they were in the 80s. They must have been high scoring. And they don't understand it was in overtime? They understand it, but I still think they're fooled because they'll look at the averages for a team for the year, and any team that plays like six overtimes always gets too much of a But that's not what we're talking about. You're, you're just talking about a whole new subject. Well, they, the one I'm final talking about score. The fact Brad is saying because the last game was in overtime that the public's going to bet over because that game was higher scoring than it should have been. They're more likely to. I do agree with that. Okay. Duke, a winner, a big winner. Now it's intriguing to see who the Dukies are going to play. What a matchup between Michigan State and Syracuse. That's up next. Straight out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Straight out of Vegas! Ten-point lead. Now here is Bagley. Left of the lane. Two men on him. Spinning. In traffic. His shot is good. Imagine doing that at nearly seven feet tall. 
That's amazing. What an athleticism. Dan Hurley's seen enough. He wants a timeout. Straight into Vegas, brought to you by Hooters. you got to get to Hooters and try the new smoked wings. It's a whole new way to crave wings. And with all the taste and half the calories, you can eat twice as many Hooters. So you hear the Duke highlight there, courtesy of Westwood One, and it was all highlights. What a freaking blowout. 87-62, the two-seed in the Midwest, takes out Rhode Island, laying nine and a half, and goes under again. We'll address that in a second. Duke advances to the Sweet 16. It's going to be Michigan or Syracuse. Michigan State. That's a good point. Michigan State. I can't read my own notes, right? Michigan State and Syracuse. First on Duke and the total. It went under. Barely. <laughs> it counts. Well, no, it depended on what line because uh, a lot of people out there in the marketplace got, got a push. So, so hold on a second. Is We're not only talking totals. We're talking about half points and who got yeah. pushes or not on totals. Yeah, I think the major... Let's move on. Yeah, the major point here is how... Are you going to mention the total as a factor next week? Well, it depends on what the line will be, but no, okay. no. I mean, I, I get we, that. We have been talking about the defense and unders yeah, well, for here, the better part of I think that, six weeks. All right, we'll tie in the total, and a lot of the reason why the Duke we've been talking Duke totals is because their defense, which is now elite, and therefore if Duke has an elite defense coinciding with an elite offense that Duke's had all season, Duke, in my opinion, along with Villanova, are the two by far best teams in the tournament right now. Two, And the shame is they'll meet in the Final Four, uh, and not, that'll be your national championship game. All right. Michigan State, 8.5 against Syracuse. On the Q side, first of all, tough matchup because of that matchup zone. It is. Syracuse didn't deserve to be in the tournament. But Syracuse is built for the NCAA tournament. Why? Because Syracuse runs a very unique style of defense that most teams don't see. It. That zone defense with Syracuse recruiting for it with extra length. Teams don't see it. Only have a day or two to prep for it, especially in the second-round matchup. That's a positive for Syracuse. Here's the negative for Syracuse. So when you talk about the second round, we're yep. really talking about the second game of the weekend. Yep. And, and it's a very important point. We brought it up last night. It's worth bringing up every day of the tournament. Is when it's the first set of games of the two of a weekend, you've got extended prep time. When it's the second set, you've got about 48 hours. And... If it's a coach putting in something fresh, you know, Bobby Knight was always known to be much, much better on the first leg because he had time to prepare. He was an elite coach. Second leg, you don't really have the time, right? So I think with quirky offenses and defenses in basketball, old school Temple, John Chaney type stuff, Syracuse falls into that, is they're especially effective in those second games because the teams they play, unless they played them regularly over the years, especially this year, which sometimes we'll meet from the same conference and such, is other than that, if it's a new team, if it's the first time you're playing a Syracuse, then that second game's tough. Yeah, no doubt about it. So real quick, are there any other teams remaining in the NCAA tournament that are that quirky that that we would say, Fez, you got one? West Virginia. Press Virginia, very difficult. Okay, so are we more inclined to like... West Virginia in the second game. Absolutely. You agree with that, Brad? Yes. Okay, I agree with that too. Now, the West Virginia segues into, I thought, a brilliant handicap from you, Brad Powers, last night, which was, okay, Syracuse, 48 hours rest, that's going to be tough. But as the game progresses, they get used to it, right? It's like anyone that's ever played basketball, if you play on an unusual rim – 
you know, a couple, you know, 20, 30 points in, ah, rim's not as bad as it was. Okay. So the theory is look at Syracuse first half. Now you brought up another point that pushes us towards Syracuse in the first half, which is Syracuse had to play in. So they played in on Wednesday and then they had 48 hours. Right. So now we're not talking about prep. We're talking about rest, right? Yep. Lack of prep time and lack of rest. Played in one. Now, another game. So they're playing three games between Wednesday and Sunday. Very rare during the regular season. Yep. Thus, we're going to have a tired team. Well, if you have a tired team, if you're going to bet them, when do you bet them? First half. I love Syracuse first half. And I, I also as well. And on top of it, why I'm not interested in Syracuse for the full game, why do I expect Syracuse to be tired, not only because of three games in five days, but Syracuse, starter average starter minutes greater than any team in the NCAA. Their starters average more minutes per game than anyone else. I expect Syracuse to run out of gas in the second half. And I'm going to bet Michigan State in the second half, if not for the game, because I do think Syracuse is going to run out of gas, because not only is it three games in five nights, but a key factor, they were underdogs in both of those games. So think about it. When you're an underdog in the tournament, you're all in that night. You think, oh, my season's about to end. And at some point, you just don't have any gas left in the tank. So which team was an underdog Syrac- when? Syracuse was an underdog in Dayton in the play-in game on Wednesday. And they were an underdog, Syracuse, again against TCU on Friday. So this is an advanced topic. So I just want a 10-second answer. And maybe this is something we'll talk about on the podcast this week. So guys, we do the dream preview and we did almost, it was, it was what, two hours and like 40 minutes. <laughs> the yep. end, the, the, uh, first round dream preview. It comes out every Wednesday in the AM, like 6 AM. We'll be doing all the sweet 16 round Thursday and Friday. You can just search for RJ Bell on any of your, Favorite podcast players. Twitter handle is at RJ in Vegas. Or follow me on Twitter, as Stephen A. said, at RJ in Vegas. Quick 10-second question, though, Fez. Do you, how often do you decide to bet a team in the second half without regard for what happens in the first, and you're just waiting for that halftime line to come out? It's unusual, maybe one out of 50 games. But this is one, no matter what happens within reason in the first half, you're betting against Syracuse in the second half. Extremely likely, RJ, about 80% chance. The other result in the Midwest, interesting game, because at the end, it looked like Kansas was going to cover, but Kansas, the one, takes out the eight seat in Hall, laying five, 83 to 79. What happened at the end of the game, or what do you think of Kansas? Well, the Seton Hall hit a three pointer at the buzzer. Probably tens of millions of dollars changed hands in Vegas. Kansas, the more public team. But more importantly, what I saw from Kansas is there's questions about the big guy, Azubuki, coming in. Didn't play that much in the first round game. Wasn't effective. Was effective for this game for Kansas. Played 22 minutes. And if he's even healthier, which I expect to be the case in the Sweet 16 round, then Kansas is very dangerous. And I'm going to be looking to bet Kansas against a Clemson, against an Auburn, with their big guy fully healthy. This is an elite team, no question. So 68% of the cash, and we do up at pregame.com in the Game Center, have the cash splits. Only place... In the world that has those for free, six eight percent of the cash was on Kansas. Mine, you know, in that minus four and a half range. So it was that late three cost the batters and benefited the bookies. Mm. Thumbs down. You know, I'm going to do a thumbs down to Kansas though. 
Brad said they're elite. I don't think they're that elite. They're not certainly not Duke elite. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, they just won the. Um, I mean, Big Twelve regular season just won the tournament. Just you know, gliding into the Sweet Sixteen. You're right. Not very good at all. I would certainly take Michigan State or Duke at pick them against them. But is that the question? Is the I, is elite saying they're one of the two or three best teams? I don't think they're a top five team. So all right, interesting. And, and look, let's face it: the market agrees with Fez when a West Virginia is favored over Kansas in the Big Twelve championship. Yeah, but game. I mean, well, first of all, let's be clear: the Big Twelve championship game they were favored because West Virginia was favored because everyone, including us, yep. was talking about how Kansas didn't have any motivation in that game, right? And we we were saying it ourselves. But when Kansas was hosting West Virginia, the line was what four and a half. Three. It got back down to three. And in the, in the time since, Kansas has played much. I mean, you had to upgrade, what, Kansas two points oh, in that interim, right? When, when everyone was concerned that the Kansas's Big 12 title streak was going to come to an end, they flipped the switch. Ten and one straight up their last 11 games. And the one loss was when Kansas was completely unmotivated. The final game of the regular season that had no meaning whatsoever. Jayhawks advance to the Sweet 16. They're going to play the Sunday winner in the Midwest between five Clemson, four Auburn. Auburn is laying one and a half points. Total is 146 and a half. I like Clemson plus the one and a half for this game. Don't like Clemson moving forward against Kansas in the Sweet 16 round, but here's why I like Kansas. I think they have the, they have the better defense in this matchup, getting points that helps, played the tougher schedule. And if you looked at the first-round matchups, I thought Clemson was much more impressive start to finish against a New Mexico State team that I consider to be better than Auburn's opponent, College of Charleston. For those couple of reasons, I like Clemson. I don't like either team. They have two. Both of them have key players out, both Clemson and Auburn, very overrated. <laughs> you don't think that the market knows those players are out? Oh, they know they're out, RJ. So but they have I'm not, confused. They, they have not adjusted. In terms of Auburn, Auburn, the, uh, the betters have not adjusted nearly enough. We saw College of Charleston open a 10.5-point underdog, got bet all the way down to 9. The betters are well aware Auburn is not nearly as good as they were a month ago. So if the betters are aware, then that means that you can't make money by... You. That's what makes betting or handicapping so hard. On every other show on Fox Sports Radio, they've just got to be right, right? When Colin says, I think Jimmy G's good or bad or whatever, if he's right, everyone's happy. In fact, he has the iconic now segment, when Colin was right, when Colin was wrong, right? We, we have a level of difficulty well <laughs> beyond that in Vegas is we have to be right and the market can't be right also because if we're betting along with the market we can't win because we're laying 110 we're going to win about 50 percent of the time so you just told me i think what i heard you try to say is fezzik is the odds makers maybe are undervaluing these injuries but the betters the pros are valuing them properly by for example fading auburn and thus unless you're betting some offshore opener at 11 o'clock at night, by the time any normal listener gets to bet an Auburn game, that line is shaped up where the absence of the injured player is properly accounted for, yes or no? No, it's it's being bet, but it's not being bet enough. We saw an Auburn team laying six against Alabama in the SEC title game. Alabama has no problem beating Auburn. And again, we saw Auburn. So the one game is proof of that. What's Auburn the last, uh, since that guy was out? One and six against the spread. Okay. By so, far their worst stretch of the season. Now that... And, 
Yeah. Here's, here's the mispricing. You look at the stats, he doesn't look like that important of a player. Macklemore, seven points per game. Okay, what's the adjustment? Maybe a half point, but he's their rim protector, one of the leading blockers. Now that's good, because it's not yes. in the stats. It's yes. being undervalued. Good job, Brad. we got to get to a Cinderella playing on Sunday against West Virginia. That's Marshall, but first, with the latest, Ralph Irvin. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. And we do start in the NCAA tournament in the East. Villanova winner over that Alabama team, 81-58, while Texas Tech survived against Florida. 69-66 in the West. Michigan with a late three to win it over Houston. 64-63. Gonzaga up and down against Ohio State, but they win 90-84 in the Midwest. Duke an 87-62 winner over Rhode Island. Kansas stays alive, beating Seton Hall 83-79. And in the South, number 11, Loyola, the upset of the day, taking out number three, Tennessee. 63-62. Number five, Kentucky rolled over Buffalo. 95.75. Online car shopping can be confusing. Not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. In the NBA, Houston won their fourth straight 107 101 at New Orleans. James Harden, 32 points and 11 rebounds. And Portland won their 12th straight 187 over Detroit. Guys, on Sunday, Portland is in L.A. to take on the Clippers. The Clips have lost two straight. They're half game out of the Western Conference playoff race. Portland, as I mentioned, won 12 straight. Trailblazers getting two and a half points on the road. Keep in mind, though, they've only won four of those 12 games on the road. Hi, Ralph. Thank you. Steve Cofield. Straight out of Vegas, R.J. Bell is here. Fezzik and Brad Powers in the Wise Guys chairs. Top team in the tournament, Villanova, rolls 81-58, minus 11 against Alabama. Sweet 16 up next. And we find out on Sunday in the East who will come out of that game. Cinderella Marshall getting 12.5 against in-state rival. We call it that. Is that a factor in the game, West Virginia? And not for me. I think the number one factor is, we've already kind of mentioned it, West Virginia plays a unique style of defense, Press Virginia, and it's kind of the perfect defense for defending Marshall's best player, Elmore, who's going to have one of the best defenders in college basketball in his face. I like West Virginia, particularly in the first half, minus the six and a half. Don't want him for the full game because Marshall's offense is pretty good, could play some catch-up. First half, the reason is Marshall's not used to playing that style of defense, and it's going to take so a half to adjust to it. these in-state rivals did not play this year? Haven't played for a couple years. Best. Well, look, no further than what happened when West Virginia played Kansas, and West Virginia was always up double digits the last three times against KU, and then get up double digits against Kansas. They certainly should be able to win the first half, get up double digits against Marshall. Yeah, but I got to wonder. It's not like Kansas is unfamiliar. Do, if you Let's say there was a seven-game series. So Kansas was playing West Virginia, a la the NBA. There's a seven-game series. Would you say in game seven – that somehow West Virginia is going to be more effective in the first half? Well, that's what the history has been, but seven games The history be has been with, with whom? That West Virginia has dominated the first half. Against whom? West Virginia. Against, against, Kansas. against Kansas. Okay. So how about other teams they play multiple times a year? The question I'm asking is this, a very specific question, is this concept, which I think is a wonderful concept, that when you have a quirky style of play, that I've always said when you're unfamiliar, when the opponent is unfamiliar, you look for that quirkiness to be a big advantage early in the game, first half. If you're familiar with the team, 
it would seem to me it's much less of an advantage, if at all, that, hey, Kansas has seen this a bunch. So forgetting specifically Kansas, in general, would you say, hey, any time West Virginia plays in conference, doesn't matter if it's the second time, obviously it could be the fifth time they've played them in the last you know, 14 months or whatever, you're saying still look at the first half? No, I I would look at the first half less, but the mere the mere. So fact, you're not answering the question. Do the you mere, look at the first half or not? I would look at it against an unfamiliar opponent more than a familiar opponent. But even playing a familiar opponent, RJ, they've had a tremendous amount of success in the first half, which makes me really like. Brad do you have here. that data other than Kansas? I do not. So why say it? I will look it up. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> You're, you just made that up. Well, it was so overwhelmingly good against Kansas against one team, Kansas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, also, in these Texas Tech beats Florida, very close game, but the third seed moves on sixty-nine to sixty-six in the Sweet Sixteen. They await Sunday game Purdue laying three and a half against Butler. Purdue, the second seed, Butler is the ten. But now we've got. A wrench thrown in or Dewey. Is Isaac Haas playing or not for the Boilers? I, I, he's not going to play. If you listen to it, he wants to play Isaac Haas for Purdue. His head coach, Matt Painter, doesn't want him to play. And, and let's break it down. Dislocated, el- a fractured elbow for him on his actual right hand. Man. On the, he's on right the shooting arm. So yeah. on the shooting arm. I, I don't see him playing at all. How much is Isaac Haas worth? About three, four points. That's what the markets are saying. That's what I'm saying in this one. So looking at the line right now, yeah, what would the line be? What is the current line? Three and a half. Okay. It would have been seven. Who's favored? Purdue okay. favored. And you're saying the line would be seven? Yep. Okay. So the adjustment is about the full amount. So the market's saying he's not going to play. Yep. And even though he's not going to play, I'm actually going to lean on Purdue minus a three and a half. Here's a lot of times when I see an injury... Sometimes the market overreacts, and it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow when the public starts betting this game. But the at least for one game, all the other players tend to raise their game, especially for an emotional leader like Isaac Haas, a multiple-year starter. I say all the other players, at least for a one-game bump, play above at least their expectations that they've seen, and I'm going to lean with Purdue. So, Fez, this is a concept we talk about in the NFL all the time. When one player's out, other players tend to step up. Now, I question Brad's handicap on this on two levels, and I want to get your thoughts. One, do you feel like that's the case in college basketball specifically? Because I think it's also the case in the NBA when they're all pros. That eighth player, if he's motivated, can sometimes be better than starters. We've seen guys off the bench have amazing games in the NBA. You don't usually see the eighth guy in college have a great – he's the eighth guy for a real reason. Specifically, does Purdue, and this is an open question, do they have a replacement for this guy? Is this just a matter matter of energy, effort, or is there just a fundamental absence? I think it's a fundamental absence. This guy's a true seven-footer, RJ. They kick it into him, and then they have to double-team him. Which, if you have a good seven-footer, you think you build the whole... I mean, how many players in college basketball, Brad, are worth upwards of four points? Ten or fifteen. So this is one of the 10 or 15 most valuable players in college basketball. And remember, in the tournament, top 10 or 15 players become more valuable because during the regular season, you you got to pace yourself. It's like the NBA playoffs. Now you got one game where you go home. Now you can play him all the minutes, and you can work your offense all the way through him. I think they're in big trouble without him. Brad, you are able to look at the X's and O's better than most. Does Purdue's offense and or defense 
run through this guy. Whereas and, it's not just he's a good player in the mix, but he's the centerpiece. He is, for the most part, Isaac Haas. So and, how do you overcome that with well, effort? They have a lot of versatile guys. And also, we've seen Purdue, when, when Isaac Haas isn't dominating down low, Purdue really, you know, as far as relies on their perimeter. So I would say this is a high-variance game. If Purdue really re- relies on their perimeter, they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the but country. But that's a whole other topic. Yes. The, to- the thing we're talking about is, how good is Purdue without this player? I still think they're good. I mean, how many how many teams in the country, they're backup seven foot three? If you're but, missing but once a seven again, I'm, guy, I'm a big believer. Yeah. If a backup... Here's something I learned as a businessman. I once hired a guy... From Lockheed Martin. This is about like eight, nine years ago as a computer programmer. And in my naivete, ignorance, I thought, wow, pregame.com has someone from Lockheed Martin. (laughs) And then years later, he lasted about three months. Years later, someone told me, listen, if someone from Lockheed Martin wants to work for you, chances are he got run out of Lockheed Martin. Right? So if you're a 7'3 backup, you're not very good because if you're seven three, you're supposed to be starting. Straight out of Vegas is brought to you by Hooters. Get out the Hooters and try the new smoke wings. It's a whole new way to crave wings, and with all the taste and half the calories, you can eat twice as many Hooters. So I'm going to go full square chair here. I thought one of the most impressive teams today, even though the cover was slight, was Gonzaga. Gonzaga as the four seed in the West took out Ohio State, laying five ninety to eighty four. Am I wrong? No, uh, Gonzaga pure power ranks should have been a three seed, not a four seed. I just thought a uh, topsy turvy game. Gonzaga, you're right, looked as good as any team in the country. First five minutes of the game, they're up fifteen nothing. Did you watch the next thirty minutes of the game? Mm-hmm. But I also watched winning time when it counted, and all of a sudden their top level talent that people don't know about they went crazy and pushed them out to a lead. When it's all said and done, even though it's only a two-point cover for Gonzaga, I did upgrade Gonzaga after this game. I thought they were vulnerable to the upset against the Ohio State team. I agree with you. An underrated team. Now, on the way, Sunday, in the West, top-seeded Xavier. This is also why I like Gonzaga, because I did. I don't like Xavier as a top-seed. I know you're not super high on Xavier as a top-seed. Xavier's laying five-and-a-half against ninth-seeded Florida State. Yeah, I don't like Xavier overall, their chances in the tournament, but I like Xavier for this specific game. And, and this is your best bet. It is my best bet on Xavier. Number one factor for me is Xavier's a good bully. When they step up and play elite-level competition like a Villanova, they're outclassed. But when they play a mid-type of team like a Butler, a Creighton, a Providence, they've done well all year. That's what their opponent, Florida State, is in this particular case. And Florida State's playing, we just mentioned, you know, RJ kind of talked me out of maybe I don't have the right handicap because Isaac Haas is out for Purdue. Well, Florida State's got a key injury here. One of their best players got hurt in their last game. Terrence Mann, a guy that the entire offense runs through 13 points per game, six rebounds per game, five assists per game, out for this game. I like Xavier. So minus the five is this another example where the market's not properly accounting for the absence? Not properly accounting for it, it whatsoever. We got Tiger Woods Mania going down here at the betting windows in Las Vegas. We'll get you updated on that. And Fez on the NFL with some adjusted over-unders, believe it or not, already for the 2018 season. That's on the way. Fox Sports Radio with Straight Out of Vegas on a Sunday. Straight Out of Vegas! Straight Out of Vegas, Fox Sports Radio. Time is dwindling much to get to. We have Tiger Woods Mania going down here. In Las Vegas, I had a kid walk up to me at the sports book the other day and was like, they won't take my money on Tiger Woods. And I'm like, why would you want to bet Tiger Woods? He's like, I just want them to take my money. True story. So at this age, 
Cofield, as you're rapidly approaching 50, how old can a guy be and still be a kid? You know what's funny? Is I think he was 35, <laughs> but he was such a dolt that I was like, he's So a it's kid. both youth oh. and, and, and stupidity that leads to kids. And to your point, I am getting old. Fez, <laughs> what is going on right now? You talked about fading Tiger Woods in matchups, but in this tournament, the Arnold Palmer, he's actually been doing pretty well. Yeah, so he's in 10th place right now, seven games seven shots out of the lead. This is after finishing second at the Valspar tournament. And because of that, the betters, the public are betting him to win the Masters. He's the favorite now to win the Masters. Okay, so we know we want to fade. If the sports books had any guts, which they typically don't, you heard me. I don't care. If they don't scare me. Is They would have a yes-no on Tiger. And we could just fade by saying no. Right, but they're not going to do that because they're gouging. It's price gouging. They're saying the masses are so ignorant they're going to bet Tiger, so we're going to gouge them. All right, okay. How do we fade Tiger if we if we want to be sharp? We wait for the Masters and we wait for the books to put head to head matchups Tiger against one other golfer. They're going to and there's multiple ones of those Tigers versus Justin Phil Leonard, Mickelson, et cetera. Phil okay. Mickelson, et cetera. And be- do you play all of them for the same amount? I think you play them all for the same amount, and it's going to be Pick'em RJ. He's the favorite. To win the Masters, so he's probably Tiger's probably going to be favored against these guys who are much better golfers right now. Let's get some updates on the NFL. We had a lot of big moves this week. We had a big move today. The Jets decide, hey, you know what? It's worth a heavy price to move from six to three. They swap the three and the six with the Colts. Throw three second round picks this year and next towards the Colts. Jets clearly want a quarterback. So, what do you make of the Jets now after this trade? So, I read Bill Barnwell's take on this, and he actually gave. I thought, just glancing at it, the Colts hit a grand slam, and I thought the Jets were the Jets. Um, Barnwell gave, I think, the Colts a B-plus and the Jets a B-minus. But then within his analysis, he said, if this pick doesn't lead to a franchise-altering quarterback, then this this trade was a disaster. Well, then how is it a B-minus? If you have one pick... And that pick has to be a franchise altering player. Well, even if it's the first pick, what what have we assessed? Franchise altering is 50 50 at best, right? But if it's the third pick, in theory, there could be two quarterbacks gone. They might be getting their third quarterback. So if the threshold is this is a good trade for the Jets, if they have a franchise quarterback the next 10 years, that doesn't seem like a good bar to me, Fez. So I'm giving up three number two draft picks, RJ, to get the leftover quarterback, if not the second leftover quarterback. I think it's a bad move long-term for the Jets. And twos, I mean, it's so funny. We mentioned it earlier. Jimmy G was traded for one two, and now they're trading three twos to move up three spots? Wow. So what do you, now, a lot of listeners might not know, Steve Cofield, square chair, rabid Jets fan. <laughs> Thought, thoughts, Kofi. Eating away at me. Uh, no, I hate the deal. You did. Terrible. Yeah, you don't pay that half the price to move up and not control your own destiny because you don't. You can't guarantee you're getting the guy you want. What are they, do they like all three guys equally? I don't know. You're exactly. I mean, the only thing that makes a little sense is if they like a guy that couldn't, like like a guy that might, but that guy might be there at six. Like, if you were sure. Of, <sighs> By the way, they're, they're, they might have some intel to indicate who the Browns might take. What if the Browns trade out of the one and take the Jets? And then the new team that jumps up takes the Jets guy. 10 seconds, Brad. We usually have the best bat in this block. Repeat the pick real quickly, please. Xavier minus five and a half tomorrow over Florida State. Close on this. What do you think of Cousins going to the Vikings? This was asked to me actually 
on the radio, and my answer was this. I felt like the expectation to the reality is how you grade these things when it comes to future odds because the reality is built into the future odds, the current reality. I thought the Reds or the Vikings upgraded more than any team. To me, they're the winner. That'll do it. Turn it to Vegas. We'll see you next Friday, 11 o'clock Pacific. The following is a high five moment from highfivecasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won. Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing high five casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! I won again. I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your high five moment today? Only at highfivecasino.com. High five casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High five casino. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Plus Premium is your ticket to the NFL offseason. With the first pick in the NFL Draft. Catch all your favorite offseason coverage and stream exclusive content from the NFL Draft, Training Camp, Free Agency, and more. Relive the biggest plays from the season with full and condensed game replays. He's in! Touchdown! Plus, stay connected with 24-7 football news and coverage on NFL Network. Sign up today at plus.nfl.com. Terms and conditions apply. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.